I simply wanted to come up for a moment because I wanted to make sure you knew who was opening the word of God to you. This is Pastor Eric Johnson. This is my brother. This is my brother in Christ. Um, Many of you know uh, Eric well. He is connected with our public schools, with people in our community. Eric, when I think about this text, that uh, we are not to overlook the least of these, I've just watched you, and, and it's just such an encouragement to me to see how you love people with the love of Christ. And I'm so glad you're a part of our community and a part of the Lake Avenue Community Foundation. So God bless you, brother, as you open the word to us. Thank you. Praise God. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I, uh, uh, I said this at the first service tonight, and I, I want to say it again, that uh, I've, I've been involved in full-time ministry for uh, the last 29, 30 years. I know I don't look it. I'm about to turn 52. Youth ministry will either make you old or make you young. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and I, I tell you, I've, I've seen the genuine and I've seen the, the not so genuine, and I, I want you to know that Pastor Greg is the real deal. He is he is the real deal. I, I, the, the heart of God to reach everyone just burns within him, and I'm I'm, I'm so proud to know him, and I. I just so encourage you to, to follow his lead. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And I encourage you as a church, follow this man as he follows Christ. He is leading us from our comfort zones into the kingdom of God. So with that, let, uh, let, let's talk about a, a year ago, uh, I, I had the fine privilege to, to, to preach Greg's notes. Um, uh, when we were talking about this ecotonic moment, which still, as, uh, as Jeff Jones has said, sounds like it's something you order from a bar. Uh, and there, there are people that we, honestly, in, in, our, in our lives, we encounter that we feel could almost drive us to drink. Um, I know that when I'm on the road uh, here in Southern California, uh, just any day driving on a freeway, I encounter individuals who I loudly proclaim from my car are donkeys. And not because the Spirit of God has told me that they're Democrats. <laughs> and this, <laughs> this is not the, the heart of God. The, the, the heart of God is, is to not view people from the outside, but see what God sees. And so an ecotonic moment, when we see the, the definition there, ecotone, a transition area where two different things become one, then these ecotonic moments are a moment given to us. A moment given to us in which two different things can become one. And if we're not careful, we could miss these moments, just like you'll see in this clip here. What is he wearing? It's freezing. What's his name again? Big Mike. Where is he going? Hey, Big Mike. Where are you headed? Jim. Go ahead. Turn around. 
shut the door. Big Mike. Hey, my name's Leanne Tui. My kids go to Wingate. You said you were going to the gym. School gym's closed. Why were you going to the gym? Big Mike, why were you going to the gym? Because it's warm. Do you have any place to stay tonight? Don't you dare lie to me. Seen that look many times. She's about to get her way. Come on. Come on. That's Jay Make room. Get the time. Come on. Where are we going? Home. Yeah, that is just... For anyone who has not seen the, the, blind, the movie The Blind Side, which is uh, based on the book, the true story of, of how this Christian family uh, brought in Michael Orr, uh, if they had missed that moment... If they hadn't missed that opportunity, we would not experience one of the great, great football players of this day. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Ravens and was just watching them through the playoffs, hoping that they'd get to the Super Bowl just because of him. He's just an amazing individual. And what would happen when these moments come to us and we pass them by? And I, and I know... Sometimes we get caught up in ourselves, and, um, and, and I know in my own life, uh, being able to, to just talk to another individual was, was so challenging. But I, I want you to know that God has given us an amazing ability. Uh, Pastor Greg shared last week that what is the church? The, the church is a people in which each one has personal access to God, and I want to hone in on number two. Each one is a minister of God because every person in this room is a minister of God. You have been given a ministry. Uh, when, I, uh, uh, when, when you see this, this picture, uh, it's pretty self-explanatory of uh, myself with my daughter. Um, This was several years ago, but for anyone who's walked into my office, you know that God just made me one great big geek. I'm just one big superhero guy. And if you ever know, if you know the story of Superman, you know that Superman gets his powers from the sun in the sky. And in the same way, as Superman is empowered by the sun in the sky, God has empowered us with three things that enable, enable all of us to reach the overlooked and ignored. And so let's talk about those three things. Uh, the first one is that God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. Every one of us has this ministry. Every one of us has the ability to reconcile, to bring back together 
what has been torn apart, to restore broken relationships, broken relationships among each other, broken relationships among us and the overlooked and ignored, broken relationships between those, all of us and God. In a 2 Corinthians 5.18, it reads, all of this is from God who reconciled us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verses 3 through 4, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So the ministry, this ministry of reconciliation that God has given us, he has given us the ability to comfort the overlooked and ignored. When we, when we look back at that passage of, in, in, in Matthew, what was the statement that was made by Christ? He said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. You brought me comfort. And God has given us the ability to comfort others. And the thing that he expects from us is that ever, I'm, I'm sure, as, as we've been talking about our turning points and all of these things, I'm sure that every person in this room has experienced from God some form of comfort that he himself brought through somebody else. And as we breathe in that comfort, it is God's expectation that we exhale, that we breathe out that same comfort and pour it into somebody else. God uses that comfort that he has given you in the situation that you are in, in the pain or the suffering that you are in, in the same way that he has done with me. He uses that comfort, and it is like a radar. And you're able to sense those around you, the overlooked and ignored, that are in need of the same comfort that you have received. He has done this with all of us. Secondly, not only has God given us a ministry of reconciliation, but secondly, he has given us a message of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And that message is very simply a conversation. It begins every day with me with a conversation with God and it ends with a conversation with man. In Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4 this, this verse was introduced to me when I was a young man and it's, it's been the, the theme of, of my life. The sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom so that I may know how to comfort the weary. Morning by morning he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. So every morning, my prayers, God, speak to me. Speak to me about these opportunities, these moments that I don't want to miss. Open my eyes to them. Don't let me miss these opportunities. And then give me the words. Show me what it is that you would, you would have me to know so that when this opportunity comes up, who they encounter is not Eric the raving lunatic on the freeway. 
but they're actually in the presence of God himself. It's, it's, it's real simple. First, talk to God about men. And then, talk to men about God. And I will say this, I, in my, my early days of sharing with, with others, I was um, very zealous. Uh, I was more than just a Rambo, I was a Rambro when it came to witnessing. You know, and I, and I, I never let people get in an, a word in edgewise. I mean, I was armed with my four spiritual laws and the Romans' road to redemption and, and just went at it and, and demanded a prayer and never really listened. And so what people really got was not really God. What they got was me and not something that represented the love of God. I, I tell you, the, the, when we read about Christ, whether it was the woman at the well or Zacchaeus in a tree, it started with a conversation. And it somewhere around there just ended with a meal. And it ended with the other vid, individual asking a question. And he has placed this gift in all of us. Romans, I mean, not Romans, but Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him, sup with him, have a meal with him, and he with me. There's something about sitting down and breaking bread and having a meal with someone who is overlooked and ignored. You bring home to them. You bring comfort to them. You bring God to them. Which brings... And then one more, one more thing about this. As we were just mentioning our, our turning point, I, I find that always that the conversation that you have, the thing that God makes fresh and alive, is your turning point. That's why it's so important. I was so excited to the service that I sat down and we were talking about turning points and writing them down because God draws people to you he draws the overlooked and ignored to you. He draws those people who will hear the voice of God through your turning point. And that's why it's so valuable. That's why it's so, so important. That's, that's why it's, it's good to just to write it down and rehearse. What is it that God has done? How has he comfort me, comforted me? What is the thing that he has done in my life? Because that is what he will use in a conversation to reach someone else. Which brings me to the third thing. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation he's given us a message of reconciliation and thirdly he's given us the means of reconciliation and that means is love in second corinthians 5 verses 16 through 19 it reads so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view we regard no one from a worldly point of view. The love of God gives us the ability to regard no one from a worldly point of view. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And verse 19 reads that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. The love of God gives us the ability to see the diamond instead of the coal. I remember when, I, when hands were laid on me for youth ministry and that was the word that was spoken over me. The, Eric, that God has given you the gift to, to look at this generation and where everybody else sees loss and trouble. You see the diamond and not the coal. And God has given every one of us that ability. 
to where we don't, we don't see a gangbanger. We don't see a prisoner. We don't see someone whose lifestyle is so different than ours. What we see is the diamond. And what we see is Christ. In John 3.17 it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. The love of God does not allow me to dismiss you because I'm offended by you. It does not allow me to disregard you because I don't understand you or because I disagree with you. The love of God compels me to love people where they're at and not where I'm at. In John 15, verse 12 and 13, it says, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. No greater love there is than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And I remember when I first heard that verse, I kept thinking, okay, I, I would be willing to lay down my life for my buddies. But that, I'm finding a, there's, a, there's a, another meaning, a deeper meaning to that verse. That I, I have on this Hunger Games pin, because not only is it a, an, an amazing movie, but it reminds me of this amazing story of sacrificial love. And that is what we've been called to do. We, we, we've been called to lay down our convenience and lay down our comfort zones and lay down our resources and our preconceptions and our prejudices so that we can see the individual that God is drawing me to as my friend. And once I see them as my friend, then I see Jesus. I see my friend and who they are in the past or the present does not matter what is important. What matters is who they will become. Why am I so passionate about this? Well, when you see this picture of this little guy, I look at that kid. I, I look at that kid. And that's why this message means so much to me. Because that kid was overlooked and ignored. That kid was struggling with if he, if he even had a place on this earth because of the abuse that he was suffering at home. That kid was, was told that he was an accident, that he was retarded, that he would never amount to anything. That kid was struggling with if he should even be on this earth another day, toyed with, with suicide. And into his life came ministers of reconciliation. I, I stand here today because a school teacher by the name of Beth Wells told me I was a genius. And I went from being at the bottom of the class to an AP student graduating at the top of my class in high school. And because of the comfort that was poured into him, because that woman's math class became my home, I, I, whereas I dreaded going to school, I, from that moment on, I couldn't wait to get to school. I couldn't wait to get to her math class because that was my home. Someone saw the diamond instead of the coal. And that classroom became my home. 
and school became an entirely different experience for me. I stand here today, an individual that, that tutors others now, that, that has run high school diploma programs because of what someone else had invested in me. I stand here today because people like Dover and Shirley McCoy, Tommy and Gwen McMullins, Phil and Florence Madden, Dell and Sam Yarborough opened up their homes to me, made their home my home, mentored me, loved me, saw the diamond in the coal. There was no youth ministry at our church. It was just people reaching out to mentor the overlooked and ignored. And every day gave me another reason to have hope. Tomorrow I celebrate my 24th wedding anniversary because of the example of love that was demonstrated by these people. I I wanted a home full of love the, the same way that these people I watched their marriages and watched how they loved each other. and I, That's what I wanted. And something that seemed impossible became possible in my life. I stand here today. I, I think of a, a woman by the name of Nina Winters. When, she and, when, uh, when her son and, and I became best friends and couldn't wait to hear another message. And we would, at, at the age of 18, would just drive all over the city to hear great preachers preach. And she would open up her home every Sunday after church to make sure that we were fed before we ran off to the next message. I've been the youth pastor of her grandchildren. She invested something in me that was poured out into her grandchildren. And they, and they are magnificent people serving God today. For them, it wasn't a project. It wasn't a, it wasn't a position. It wasn't a title. It wasn't a job. It wasn't a program. It was just love. The love of God that reached out to the overlooked and ignored and made a difference. God knows where I would be today because I was being pulled just as much by the crypts as I was from the church. And if they had not reached me in that opportune moment, where would I be? It was those individuals that grabbed a hold of me and said, Eric, if you want to move forward in your life, you're going to have to forgive. You're going to have to forgive your father who abused you. You're going to have to forgive the man who molested you. You're going to have to forgive to move forward. And so here I am today. I'm here. And just over, just a little under two years ago, this church opened up its doors because the school district couldn't afford to hold a summer school. And Greg said, we have space. And partners came together and in a summer school, we're going to our third year of doing that here, reaching the most at risk. And that first year, we had an opportunity to share our, our stories of why it was that we do the work that we do. And a young man came up to me and he, he said, I, I heard about your story and I, I want you to know about mine. I travel every day from Hollywood to Pasadena High School because I live in a shelter 
my father beat me with the back end of a butcher knife and kicked me out of the house. And I've been on my own just trying to get through this. How is it, and these questions to me were, how is it that you're alive? How were you able to forgive your father? And we sat down and we had a meal and we had a conversation. And then we became Facebook friends. And then he graduated from PHS and now he's at UCLA. And he got in touch with me in November with that same question. He said, Eric, how did you forgive your father? Can we talk about that again? And we'd sit down and have a meal and talk about that. And then I said, hey, man, um, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? He says, oh, no, I don't want to be in a position. I said, I'm asking you, it's not in position. If you don't have, because I knew he, he, was, he had no family. I said, look, if you don't have a place to be, come over to my house for Thanksgiving. He says, well, I'll, I'll let you know. We're sitting down at Thanksgiving meal and I get a call. He says, hey, does that offer still stand? Of course it does. Come on over. Have a meal. Let's talk. We talked for hours. He said, can we get together again next week? Sure. Let's, let's sit down. Have a meal. Let's talk. Sat down at breakfast. And he said, I, I, I want to ask you something. I, you know, I, please don't be offended. I, I, no, I won't be offended. Just go ahead and ask me. What is it? Would you be my mentor? I was so honored. To be able to pour back out the love, the comfort, back into that life. This young man contacted me the week before Easter. He said, I want to let you know something. You know I haven't had any contact with my father and my family since all this has happened. I want you to know I called my dad. We had a conversation. And I want you to know that I've forgiven him. Thank you for being in my life. This is the ministry for all of us. And I speak this over you, that every person in this room, you are an Ezekiel, called to go into the valley of dry bones and see the overlooked and ignored, whose hope has been cut off, and breathe the breath of life and command these bones to live again and see new life. I want to introduce to you some individuals who have, who have had this experience. And I want to let you know that you'll have an opportunity to respond to this. Our superintendent of schools and our police chief has said time and again in this last year, we want every child in PUSD to have a mentor. Don't miss these moments. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Eric. When we were designing this service, we thought it would be great for you to hear the stories of a couple of people that are trying to live by this blueprint. And so uh, uh, first let me uh, introduce you to Nancy Stiles. Nancy Stiles is born and raised here at this church and uh, a lifer, as I call you. Uh, and it's, uh, uh, I just, it's amazing to me to think how does somebody, you know, with a, a school teacher, family of three kids, advanced degree in mathematics, end up in a teen mom's ministry? Well, let me tell you how that happened. <laughs> but before I do that, I just want to say, Eric Johnson, you are the real deal. <laughs> yeah. 
I, um, it's my very great privilege to serve alongside Eric at Lake Avenue Community Foundation. And these things he was talking about this morning, he's living uh, every day with our students. And it's a real privilege to see that and, and, and share that with you. So, But how I got here uh, was seven years ago, I was sitting in a Sunday morning worship service. I think I was kind of back right over there. And uh, I felt God's prompting to be a part of this ministry um, that was beginning to teen moms. And it was Joyce Penner that was up here sharing about a group of women that had been praying and planning about starting a ministry called Teen Mops that was specifically for the teenage moms in our community. And I was a stay-at-home mom at the time. I had three little kids. Um, My youngest had just turned one. And I very clearly felt the Holy Spirit's prompting that I needed to go talk to Joyce after the service. Um, So I did, and that was spring 2005, and we launched the ministry here. Um, And I see some faces in this room that have been a part of it all along, Bonnie Welch and other leaders that um, have have joined in that ministry uh, to teenage moms that meets every Tuesday nights here in the Student Center. All right, Ray Thompson, uh, just getting to know you here. Ray, you uh, started coming here in 1987, is that correct? Yeah, 1987. All right. And so uh, tell us, how do you land in prison ministry? Okay, well, uh, one Sunday after service, I was heading out to get my bagel and uh, ran into Brother Leo. And he, uh, he said, Ray, I need your help. I need you to go check something out for me. So I, you know, I gave him my proper credentials and we got checked out through the Los Angeles County uh, prison system, got clearance to go in and check out this Malachi Dads program about a year ago. And uh, I've been joyfully uh, involved ever since. And it's funny because uh, Pat Miller, some of the children that Pat Miller ministers to in Juvenile Hall, I'm ministering to their dads in L.A. County prison. And Pat is doing an awesome work with our juvenile system, and it's just uh, awesome to work alongside him. All right. Amen. Well, uh, can I ask you, Nancy, can you tell us uh, what, what's the experience like for the people that come into the, not just maybe the Teen Moms program, but maybe the mentor program as well, since you now run that? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> we asked our Teen Moms this a few weeks ago, why they enjoy coming to Teen Moms. And the biggest answer was community, that they've built relationships with each other um, and with the leaders, uh, and it's just been a safe place for them, uh, and they've really experienced God's love there. We also do the practical stuff in Teen Mops. We talk about parenting skills. Um, in fact, just this last week, uh, Bonnie Welsh and Danita Turgeon uh, did a cooking demonstration for the moms, and the next day on Facebook, one of the girls had posted the pictures of her attempt at the same recipes and was so proud of herself, and her family loved it. And um, So we, we do the practical uh, skill things there, too. Um, but the biggest thing that I've seen in Teen Mops that has been uh, just amazing to watch is, is our moms uh, really grasp the love of Jesus. And uh, a few years back, we spent our Bible study time for the year looking at Jesus' interactions with women in the New Testament. And I'll never forget the night uh, that we were doing the passage in Mark 5 where the woman in the crowd um, touches Jesus' cloak and is instantly healed. And Jesus says, who touched me? And the woman comes forward and um, he says to her, uh, woman, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And 
I saw the light go on for two of our moms that night, and they just really grasped that God loves them that same way and wants that same healing for them and transformation for them. One of the moms told me later that she realized that night that God has not forgotten his daughters. And uh, just seeing that transforming power of love through relationship in their lives has been amazing. And I get to watch that in mentoring, too. So I kind of wear two hats um, involved with the Teen Moms Ministry, but also our mentoring program here um, at LACF. And I, I see countless stories of, of mentors that, that get to walk alongside a student in our community, junior high or high school student, spend time with them, hear their story, share their story, and get to see God working um, in, in and through their story as well. Thank you. I love that story. Ray, a lot of people uh, don't necessarily picture themselves in in uh, prison ministry, it must be a, a pretty tough gig. Tell me, how, what, what do they experience in your ministry with uh, Malachi Dads? Well, first, I'd, I'd like to just say this quickly, that um, through the efforts of Roger Bosch and Myra Nolan, I was able to attend with John Seacrest and his son, Hunter, um, the turn conference at the Angola State Penitentiary in Louisiana, where the average... A sentence is 93 years. So to answer your question, uh, we've, we've mirrored uh, a curriculum called Malachi Dads, um, and it was a program that was started in Angola by inmates that are doing life. So it's a, it was a 12-month 12, uh, 12 program, and we condensed it down to 12 weeks. And so we, we start off with creation. We talk about the fall of man. We talk about um, being saved, sanctification, marriage, parenting. So we go through these 12 modules, and what we're doing is we're trying to raise up a generation of men who want to serve the Lord. And so um, how that looks is, from, from, from my perspective, is... I see men who are, are in prison, and they have more in common with their kids from prison than they did when they were free, meaning that because of the power of the Holy Spirit and believing that Jesus died for their sins, these men are writing to their kids, and they're writing to their wives and their mothers and fathers, and um, the, the family members are the ones that I don't get to see, but those are the ones that really get touched because they see a change in their father, their son. And the transformation is unreal. And most of these guys, one guy told me, he says, Ray, you know what? They need to put me in a cell and weld it closed. I don't ever need to get out of here. But I thank God that Jesus died for my sins. And that's the transformation that I see. All right. Uh, uh, We talk a lot in our mentor program about uh, this kind of mutuality that we experience, where it's not just those that we're working with, but how we are transformed as well. And uh, so I have a question for you, Nancy. Can you tell me what kind of transformation have you experienced personally while participating in this kind of work? Yeah, I love that we talk about this mutuality because it's so exactly my experience and and I get to watch that happen um, with our mentors' lives as well. Um, For me, as I entered in a relationship with these young moms, um, I was learning as much from them 
um, as maybe they were learning from me. And uh, I, it was, I was talking to Jeff Leo about this this week, about how important it is to be in relationship with people that are different than us, um, and I mean different racially, ethnically, uh, socioeconomically, because I think when we are in those relationships, we see the wholeness of the body of Christ and how the image of God is reflected in each of us in a different way than if we have relationships with people that all are like ourselves. Um, so I have really experienced that personally. One of the biggest ways um, is in the value of relationship and community. Um, I think my young moms in the program had a better sense of that than I did uh, when I first started in the ministry, and I really learned that from them about that value. Uh, the other thing I have so learned from them is, you know, a lot of them are carrying a pretty heavy load, um, and the grace with which they do it and the resilience that they have in doing so has just been huge for me um, to see and to learn. Ray, same question to you. Can you tell us uh, how has your perspective changed and how have you been transformed while participating in this kind of ministry? Well, um, first of all, what was very frightening to, to hear is that there's millions of kids that go to sleep at night that don't have a father in their house um, or a mother. It, because their parent, one of their parents is in prison. And they understand that these people that are in prison, they understand that it's not a woe is me type of a mentality. I'm, most of those guys that I minister to, they, they get that they need to be there. They did something wrong to be there. Um, in any event, uh, for me, I, I love the Lord. Believe Jesus died for my sins, but I was trapped. I was trapped with a hardened heart, unable to be used by God, unable to experience the full blessing that he has for me. And and because of that, I've been living not a lie. But I've just, I've not, I've not been living to, to receive that full blessing. And um, I thank God that I'm alive today. You know, I could, I, could, I could wallow in the past and say, you know, was I a good parent? Was I a good husband? And, and, and I could wallow in that, you know. And I kind of think I was a good husband and a good parent and all of that, but I was missing something because I was trapped in my own prison. And when I got to, when I got involved with the prison ministry, um, a year ago, my heart started to soften. You know, I was angry at the right things, but the wrong way. You know what I'm saying? And pastor Greg was over a year ago. He says, uh, he was preaching on Malachi six, eight. And I never will forget this. Um, they were asking Malachi, well, the, the deal was, what does God require of me? And he requires that I would live justly, love mercy, love mercy, and to walk humbly before God. There's somebody trapped right now in here. Just reach out. And receive God's full blessing for what he has in your life so that you can be used. 
so that you don't have to worry about or think about the past and where was I at and why didn't I do this and do that. Thank God you're still alive to share that with somebody now. Amen? Amen. Amen. I have to give you a Sunday morning. <laughs> Amen. I want to encourage you. Uh, these two will be out on the patio with uh, all kinds of opportunities to participate in these kind of relationships where we could help connect you to the overlooked and ignored. And uh, I had somebody come up to me after the last service and say, uh, my mother's not going to sleep tonight. I just signed up to help in prison ministry. Uh, <laughs> And so I was glad to hear somebody took the chance to participate in something new like this, to take them in a place, in a, in a space they just never thought they'd be in. Thank you both for what you do.